Welcome back to the Truths and Gratitude podcast. This is Brooke, and this is our Woven series written by Angie Smith. We're diving into this book together for a six-part series to see that the Bible is not just a book with random stories in it, but it's one seamless story. It all goes together. And so we're going to dive into this book during our six-part series, seeing God's love and God's redemption plan played out. So I hope you're ready to dive in. Hey guys, welcome back to the Truth and Gratitude podcast as we are digging into the Woven series by Angie Smith. I hope that you enjoyed the first part where we covered Genesis chapters 1 all the way to 11. And today we are going to continue in Genesis as we are going along. So I hope you have your Bibles. I hope you have your notes. I hope you're ready to dive in because there's a lot of information that is coming your way, a lot of names, a lot of biblical places. If you have any maps that are nearby or if you have any note-taking resources that you can use, I highly recommend that because as we go along and as we meet new people, as we see the different places, it can get a lot, right? It can be a lot of information. It can be a little confusing at times and that's totally fine. So pace yourself as you take in this information. I know I'll be trying my best to be as clear as I possibly can and also pace myself with the notes here, but you'll hear me flipping along because I have all the notes and all the things for you here today. So we left off at Genesis chapter 11 when we talked about the Tower of Babel. And just like we found in um, the last podcast episode, I told you that um, the ancestry, the family trees is very important um, in the Bible. And it lists that all the time just to see the lineage, but also it tells us about how much time has gone by. In fact, throughout chapter 11, it goes through talking about Shem. We said that Shem was one of Noah's sons. And before it closes out the final um, section of that chapter of 11, it again ends with another family tree. And this is the family tree of Terah. And in chapter four um, of this book, we start talking about Abraham, but in the Bible, it leaves us off with this name Terah. And Terah is not one that we're very common with. This isn't one that we hear very much. In fact, I'm not even well aware of this name. You really wouldn't even think much about it um, until you see it here in the Bible. Um, But it talks about the story of Terah. This is chapter 11, verse 27 in Genesis. And it talks about the um, the story. This is the story of Terah. Um, And this person, Terah, had Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And we'll figure out who those people are in just a minute. Um, But Tara, uh, Angie Smith notes in her book, she says, Tara is actually the great, 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 so five greats, grandson of Shem. So he's coming down that family line, right, of Shem. And remember, Shem was one of Noah's sons. Also, we mentioned that Shem... um, continues on with the lineage of the Jewish people as well as Jesus coming from that lineage. So we're already seeing where this is going to get really important. Who's coming from what lineage? Who's coming from what line? Um, and, and just keeping up with that family line. So um, it goes on to say that Tara, you know, he's five greats. So great, 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 great grandson of Shem. Um, Tara was born into Shem's family line, like we mentioned, and for some reason, the Bible doesn't mention why, Tara decided to pick up and leave his home and head off to a distant land toward Canaan. So we will hear about this land once more, Canaan. We also are going to hear about the Canaanites. So this is it's a very important distinction. So just no, notice that, that Tara is in this land. He decides to up and leave. We don't know why he decides to up and leave this land. Um, excuse me. He decides to up and leave his home and he heads to a distant land toward Canaan. Okay. Um, so as he is headed that way, when he starts going through that way, um, as you know, down in the Canaan area, that is where Israel is located today. So, um, and In that specific area, um, it is surrounded by your Arab neighbors. And we're going to see how it got to that point because the Bible clearly lays that out. 
Um, so Terah decides to leave his home, head to Canaan, um, and he has a grown son at this time, and his name is Abram. Now, you may not recognize the name Abram. You may be thinking, well, I thought his name was Abraham. Um, and yes, you're right. It is, um, it is Abraham, but not yet. His name is Abram and Abram's wife, Sarah. And so the thing about Sarah is her name is actually spelled S-A-R-I, excuse me, S-A-R-A-I, um, at the time, but she also has a name change as well. Um, and his nephew, Lot, um, is also coming along with them. So they, they pick up and they go and they pick up and they head all the way to this area called Canaan. Now I want you to think about that when you're heading into a different area, a different territory, you're leaving, um, you're leaving everything that you, that you may know. Um, you're leaving the, a people, a community, um, tribes and communities were very important during this time. You may be leaving, um, a job, you're, you're leaving a lot of different things and heading off into a distant land. And so they head that way. And when they basically get there, they, they start their lives there. We end up with hearing in chapter 11, verse 32 in the Bible, it says, Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. Okay. So he died in, um, in a distant uh, place that was from home. So once Tara has died, um, we're left with Abram and Sarah and God comes to Abram, which is pretty cool because at the time I've read before that Abraham, excuse me, not Abraham at the time, Abram, um, did not know of the God that we know of today. Um, he was in a different time. He was in a different culture, um, probably in a different, um, a different way of worshiping at the time, but yet God calls on him. And it says in chapter 12 of Genesis, it says, God told Abram, leave your country, your family, and your father's home for a land that I will show you. I'll make you a great nation and bless you. I'll make you a fa- uh, make you famous. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Those who curse you, I'll curse. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So let's just set up the stage here. First of all, um, Abram and his wife are old. In fact, Abram at the time was around seventy-five years old, and Sarah was also old as well. Um, and they have they have made a home in this land. Um, they have their their day-to-day activities that they have that they're doing. They have their ways of worshiping and their customs that they have. And here you have God calling on to you saying, um, I need you to pick up. I don't need you to leave. I'm not telling you where you're going and you're going to leave your family. Um, you're going to take a wife, but you're going to leave your family and you're going to leave your father's home. Now, why is that important? Um, family was very close together. Um, during that time, you, you stayed with your family. Um, when you, you when you died, most of the time you were buried in some of the same areas as your family. So to just pick up and leave your family was a very very big deal. Um, so he doesn't really know what's going to happen to him. He doesn't know where the Lord wants him to go. All he knows is that God has called on to him, and He tells him to leave everything behind. And he's going to show him where to go. He's going to show him a land that he will end up at. Um, and not only that, he is going to make a great nation that's going to come from Abram. So this is a pretty big promise, especially considering the fact that Abram is 75 years old. Um, and what does Abram do? Well, Abram says that what he what he chooses to do, his choice, what he chooses to do, um, Angie mentions that in verse 12, I'm sorry, chapter, chapter 12, verse four, it says what he did would change, um, history forever. And it does, it changes history forever. What did he do? Well, in verse four, it says, so Abram left just as God said, and a lot left with him. Remember that is, um, one of his family members. It says Abram was 75 years old when he left and he took his wife, Sarah and his nephew Lot with him along with all the possessions 
and the people they had gotten into Haran and set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived safe and sound. So they, God's like, Hey, I got a plan for you and I need you to follow through. And Abram doesn't question. Um, in fact, it says after God speaks to him, there's no mentioning of where Abram argues back. He doesn't say anything against what God has said. It says, no, he, he, he went, he picked up, he, he, uh, she even says, um, um, in the book, she has so much cheaper in this book. She's like, all right, so I'm, I'm dragging my kids, um, put on some sunscreen. Here we go. We'll finally get there. And it says, when they finally got to that land, the Lord appeared to him again, telling him that he and his family could go ahead and set up camp there because this is where God wanted them. This was the land he was giving both to him and his descendants. So she says, so break out the pots and pans, Sarah, time to bake up some fun things and, and, and take them to your neighbors. Um, and so what is, what does Abram do? Well, he does exactly what God tells him to do. He builds an altar there. Um, and God decides to make a huge promise to Abram at the time. And we call these promises a covenant. So it is a covenant between God and his people. And he makes a, um, a covenant with him, letting him know um, what is going to happen. So before we go any forward, I just want to touch on that verse chapter um, in chapter 12, verses 2 through 3, where it says, I'll make you a great nation and bless you. Um, and a lot of, sometimes in a lot of these verses, what we do is we will apply them to our lives and we'll, we'll speak them into our own lives and we'll say, okay, um, this verse is, it means exactly this for me in this time of my life. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with taking God's word and applying it to our lives. But we do have to understand that this, this covenant and this promise and this blessing was not spoken in, in context of our lives. This was spoken in biblical context to Abram, to the people of that time. And so we cannot take verses out of the Bible, out of context, and just start applying those wherever we'd like. Um, we do this a lot, making Pinterest quotes and putting them on our Instagram profiles and all that. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I am saying that in order to understand the Bible, in order to understand the promises and the covenants and just the, the things going on in the Bible, we have to understand the context. So this was a covenant and a promise made to Abram. In fact, when we get to chapter 13, it says, um, that we, we, God gives him basically, um, he tells him, he says, lift up your eyes, um, and look from the place where you are northward and southward and eastward and westward for all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. So he's saying anybody that comes from that, that line of Abram, um, they will be blessed. There, there, there will be, um, it'll be a blessing. And not only that, God says, and he mentions to him, he says, I will give to you and your children forever. I'll make your descendants like dust. Counting your descendants will be as impossible as counting the dust of the earth. So he's telling a 75-year-old man, hey, who doesn't have kids, mind you. I don't know if I forgot to mention that or not, but he doesn't even have children. His wife is barren, which means she can't have kids, which during that time was a humiliating thing that you couldn't give your husband children. But yet God is saying, hey, um, I'm going to give you kids. And when they come through your family line, um, there's going to be so many of them. Um, it, you're, you're not going to be able to count how many come. Um, but you're going to have kids. And he has no quit kids, like we mentioned. Um, but you're going to have them. And him and his wife are like, how in the world is this going to happen? I don't, I don't understand how God will make that happen. In fact, God even tells him, he says, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you're able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So he's really just saying, I'm going to give you so many children. I'm going to give you a huge nation of people. But not only that, he doesn't leave him hanging there. He, um, Angie mentions that God invites Abram into another covenant, another promise, but a ritual, a, a promise doing um, something to represent and to show 
that he was serious about this, that, that he really meant what he said. Um, Angie goes on to mention that oftentimes during these days when two people entered into a promise together, um, the two parties would divide a sacrifice. So she says they would kill some animals, they cut them in half, they do this walking pattern around it, um, and then they would recite their conditions of the deal. And the only thing, um, the only thing about this was that this this was a promise that was not to, meant to be broken. Remember, we talked about sacrifices being a very, um, a very holy and sacred thing. And so, two people coming together, splitting the sacrifice, um, letting them know, hey, I'm I'm upholding my end of the bargain. If you'll uphold your end of the bargain. And so um, it mentions in the Bible that God made Abram um, go into a deep sleep. So he, 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 he allows him to go into a deep sleep. And she says, why didn't God want Abram to be awake for this? She says, because it wasn't a mutual agreement. God wasn't obligating Abram to do anything in order to make and uphold this covenant. God was taking full responsibility for keeping the covenant himself. His promise would stand no matter what. Um, God's commitment to Abram was the only thing that mattered. And so it mentioned that in the Bible, it was saying that, um, that God basically was saying in essence that Abram, I'll do my part and I'll do your part. If you mess up, I'll pay for it. So in short, God would do the thing, do the doing all Abram needed to do was to believe. And she mentions, doesn't this sound like the new Testament gospel? Um, just believe that's the requirement. The rest is on me. So, um, God continues to, to tell him in in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is a covenant together um, that we will make. So going right along, um, he he gives him this promise just about, you know, you're going to have these offsprings, you're going to have these children. And they're like, there's no way. There's no way. How, how can this happen? Uh, we're old. My wife is barren. Sarah, his wife, knows about this. Um, she knows that some of this plan and, um, several years passed and it still just wasn't happening. And so his wife is like, Hey, I'm going to come up with this really good idea in order for us to have children. So let's stop right there. <laughs> so already she's not trusting in what God has said, because it's not on her time. You know, it's not happening on during her timeline. Um, it's not moving fast enough. And so she's like, Hey, I'm going to play God and I'm going to come up with this idea on how we can, basically help God out, which by the way, um, we don't, we don't need, uh, to help God out. God's got it all figured out, but she decides to take her handmaid, basically the lady that traveled with her, I guess maybe you could call them maybe a servant at the time, but she takes them and she's like, Hey, um, you know, maybe you should just marry her, you know, have another wife and you can have a baby with her. And we'll just say and consider the baby to be mine. And so he's like, okay. So he decides to sleep with this maid servant. Her name was Hagar. And she gets pregnant. And the hard part about this was that um, Hagar was not happy about this. She was not happy about this whole setup. So she decides to run away. And she has her baby and her baby, um, his name is Ishmael and Ishmael, um, Ishmael actually later on, if you didn't know this, he goes on to become the father of the nation of the Arabs. It actually mentions that in the Bible, God tells her that her baby will be the father of a significant race. So God does not forget about Hagar. He does not forget, um, about the situation that she was put in. But yet he says he will become a, the father of a, of a nation um, and of a significant race. So it mentions that Abram was around 86 years old when Ishmael was born. Talk about an old daddy. And um, at the time, um, God mentions to Abram, he says, okay, um, we are going to have a name change here. And you'll see this a lot in the Bible. People's names will become changed. And to me, and Angie mentions that when we see these name changes, when Abram turns to Abraham and Sarah, the, 
the spelling of her name changes to a different spelling. It's showing them as a new people with God, a new people. And so um, God comes to Abram um, in chapter 17, verse 5 of Genesis, and he tells him, he says, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Um, and what's really striking about that is the fact that, okay, we see Ishmael and we see that he is going to be the father of the Arab nation. And then we're about to meet the next son and he is not the father of the Arab nation. And so here you have Abraham, um, who God has called, but yet you've got two children who are following, following two different, two different beliefs here. And so, um, we see that we are, we're going to see that played out here pretty soon. So after he has this name change, it changes Abram to Abraham. Um, so Abram meant noble father and Abraham means the father of nations. And so Sarah's name changed. So she had it spelled S-A-R-I-A-I and then it changes to S-A-R-A-H. Um, basically, um, Sarah, that first spelling, it would kind of be the word um, Angie mentions princess and then Angie writes that the new spelling would mean a princess to many. Um, and she says it's because this covenant he was making with them would change not only human history, but also the human heart. And it would start by changing these two people. The change of name signified that God, by keeping his promise to them, was making them entirely new people, the people he'd always known they would become. So what comes after this? Um, circumcision. Yes, the circumcision, talking about the cutting off of the foreskin of the penis, this is where this all begins. Now, going back to our first podcast episode, if you do not understand certain things in scripture and why things are done, if this right here, you're mind blown by this, that this is where it started and you want to know why, we have not even touched the, the surface, below the surface of some things where you're going to be like, what is this? Um, so here we find that there is another covenant, another um, basically type ritual to be done with God, and it's circumcision, going under the knife. In fact, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. Um, and Angie writes, she was like, it feels like an odd plot twist. Why would God have this be done? And she says, here's what you need to know for later when we get to the New Testament. The idea of flesh is often used in scripture, scripture as a synonym for human sinfulness. And so this procedure of cutting flesh away, as was done here in circumcision, became a symbol of what this covenant was designed to accomplish in our hearts. So God mentions in chapter 17, he mentions that, um, he says, circumcise every male, circumcised by cutting off the foreskin of the penis. It will be the sign of the covenant between us. Every male baby will be circumcised when he is eight days old. So just a little side note, I had read some information about, um, about circumcision and here in the United States, we, the circumcision rate, um, is very, very high. I mean, it's not hundred percent, but I mean, it's very high. And what's interesting is that we do not wait until the eighth day to circumcise babies. Um, we do it immediately, um, right after they're born. Um, one piece of information that I was sharing with a friend is that uh, one thing that's offered to babies is a vitamin K shot. You you can you can opt out of getting that shot for your babies, um, but if you have a baby boy who will be circumcised, it is required for them to have the vitamin K shot. The reason why it is required is because uh, the vitamin K shot helps with um, with uh, basically controlling the bleeding of um, of when it happens. Um, what's interesting though is in, in things that I've heard is that it, the vitamin K shot would not actually be necessary to to have for the babies to have um, because after eight days. Um, your body naturally will will begin to um, will begin to what am I trying to say clot or it'll, it'll be able to basically it won't be necessary because there won't there won't be this this hemorrhaging hem, hemorrhaging sorry 
you won't have an issue with like the bleeding and all of that after eight days um, because your body will naturally, the, 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 the vitamin K, it naturally will level itself out to where um, it will not be an issue. But here in America, we circumcise immediately. Um, and so they give this shot so that the baby doesn't, you know, have an issue with bleeding from the procedure. But I just think it's so awesome that like God knows exactly what he's doing. He's designed our bodies and it shows it right here in scripture, the proof of that, because it says every male baby will be circumcised when he is eight days old. Well, I wonder why eight days, you know, well, we find it right there in science that, um, they wait eight days, um, so that they don't have an issue with the bleeding and they're able to do that. So it actually says that, um, generation after generation will receive this procedure. It includes house born slaves and slaves, uh, bought from outsiders who are not, um, blood kin. It says, make sure you circumcise both your own children and anyone brought in from the outside. That way my covenant will be cut into your body, a permanent mark of my permanent covenant. An uncircumcised male, one who has not had the foreskin of his penis cut off will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So just a heads up, um, and I didn't think that we would be discussing this on the podcast episode, but just adds up, this is the Old Testament covenant. So if, you know, if circumcision is not something that you're looking to do for your children, or if you're not circumcised or your spouse isn't circumcised, this is, Jesus has come, we're on the other side of the cross, as I mentioned before, but this was something back in, back in Abraham's day, this was a way of identifying who was in covenant with Christ, who was, um, who was keeping that promise with Christ. So that is where circumcisions come from in case you were very interested about that. So going right along, we come to the part where Sarah has still not had a child of her own and God is continuing to say, no, you're going to have children. You are going to, from your, from you, uh, from your bloodline, from Sarah and from Abraham together, um, you're going to have a child. Um, and so Sarah's like, there's no, there's no way, like, there's no way that I'm going to have a child. I'm too old. And sure enough, um, they do, they have a child and they name him, they name him Isaac, which in the Bible, um, it's chapter 17, verse 19. Um, Isaac comes from the word, um, laughter, which in the Bible, um, you find that Sarah was actually laughing about the fact that she was going to have a baby. And God's like, why are you laughing? (laughs) He's like, is anything too hard for God? Like, like, why are you laughing? You know, I'm, I'm, you have to believe and trust that this is going to happen. So they have this second child or really Sarah's first child. And his name is Isaac. And he becomes, um, he becomes, um, just so loved by, by Abraham And as we mentioned, you know, you have Ishmael, who is going to later on become the father of a massive nation, which is the Arabs, but you have Isaac, his brother, or really it's his half-brother, his brother is going to become the father of the Jews. So already we're going to see some division here. Already we're going to see some, some turmoil here. And it says that Ishmael and Isaac, they despised each other then. And they despise each other now to this very day. And she says that, you know, now whenever you hear things in the news between the Arab nation and the Christian nation or even just the Jewish nation, especially them being so close to one another, this this story goes this far back. Like it is biblical. The, see, the things that we see played out in the news between the two nations, it is very, very real. And this is where it comes from. Um, she mentions that the anger and hatred in the Middle East that is boiling over right this very minute at this very hour, it originated with this one father and these two mothers who lived several thousands of years ago. Um, so it goes later on to say that Isaac may have been that promised child from God, but he will not be the last. 
So if you know anything about the story of Abraham and Isaac, if you've ever heard those two names brought up, I do think that there was a movie made recently um, about this particular story. But everyone, if you are well aware with of the name Abraham, um, it is very hard not to know this story that we're going to talk about. So the story that I'm going to mention is the story of offering Isaac as a sacrifice. Now, remember I mentioned before that we're going to talk about human sacrifice um, throughout the Bible, but most of the time the human sacrifice that you're going to be seeing that is done is done by other cultures um, and people with a different belief system worshiping different gods, and it is despicable in God's eyes. God um, does not agree with it. But here we see something very interesting. We see where God comes to Abraham and he says, take your dear son, Isaac. This is uh, chapter 22 of Genesis. He says, take your dear son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I'll point out to you. So already as a parent, I'm like, "Mm, I'm not okay with this. (laughs) I'm not all right with this. And and it's okay if you feel that way, because I still to this day, I'm like, mm, I don't know if I would have done that. I don't think so. Um, and what's amazing is it doesn't say anything about Abraham's feelings here. It's, the next verse says Abraham got up early in the morning and he decides to go off. Um, to me, I would have a really, really hard time doing that, going and offering my child, one that I've waited you know, all of my life for like people say that, but literally he waited eternity to have his child, this child from his wife, whom that he loved very, very much. And God is saying, all right, I want you to go and I want you to make him a sacrifice. Um, I just wonder what that would have felt like. Angie speaks to this. She says that there is a difference between tempting and testing. And here we see in this chapter that God is testing Abraham. He's not tempting. So testing, she says, is putting us into situations where we're set up to honor him. It's where we exercise our faith and he gives us the opportunity to succeed and to make us better. Tempting is someone on the opposite of that. Tempting is someone who's going to put you in a situation where you want them to fail. So we see the enemy or we see Satan works with this, that the temptations are, is a way of us um, is an opportunity for us to fail. So in this situation, this was not a temptation, um, from God. God was not tempting Abraham to do this. Instead, he was testing him and thankfully Abraham passed the test. And so we see here that Abraham does have a choice, just like Adam and Eve, they have a choice. They have free will to do it as well. Um, so what do they do? Abraham gets up the very next morning. He gets the wood ready for the burnt offering and he sets off to this place that God has directed him to go to. Um, and he takes his son, Isaac, and, you know, just going right along. And, um, and so Isaac says to his dad, he's like, father, he says, yes, my son. He says, we have flint and wood, but where's the sheet for the burnt offering? So you got to understand that most of the time they were offering, Um, animals with no blemish to God as their sacrifice, but yet they have no animal. So it's like, uh (laughs) uh-oh, you know, like where, where is the offering that we're going to have for that day? Um, And Angie mentions, she says, Abraham was obedient to a situation that made absolutely no sense to him because he trusted God more than he could see with his own eyes. And what amazing faith. That's why we say Abraham has such great faith because he was going right along with God, even though he had no idea what he, what God was asking him to do. He had faith that God knew exactly what he was doing. Um, and that it was his job to love and to protect him, um, and, and, and to not cause him harm because God had made these promises. And not only that, you got to think about the fact that God had been promising Abraham for quite some time. I'm going to make a great nation, out of you. I'm going to make you a father of many nations. You're going to have many, 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 many children. So to Abraham, I'm sure it probably didn't make any sense how, Hey, I'm going to make you into a great nation with all these children, but now I'm asking you to sacrifice one of your children. You know, I'm sure that that was very, um, 
that was very maybe odd or even eye-opening um, for Abraham. But this is where we see where it plays out. Abraham said, son, God will see to it that there's a sheep for the burnt offering. And they kept on walking together. So we see here that Abram very plainly is saying, hey, I think God's going to provide the sheep. You know, God is, God is, even though God had told Abraham, hey, you're going to sacrifice your son as a burnt offering. Abraham is saying, hey, I think that God will provide a sheep. Hold on to that word sheep because we're going to see what happens. God will provide a sheep or a lamb for the burnt offering. And they kept on walking. So when they finally get to where they're going, Abraham builds an altar. They get the wood ready. They get the fire going. Um, and he he reaches out. He, he gets his son all ready. And he, he gets him ready to sacrifice him. Again, if you're like, whoa, I don't know if I can believe this. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I like this. I'm right there with you. I feel the exact same way. But we see right there at that moment the angel of the God, this is verse 11 in chapter 22, the angel of God called to him out of heaven. He says, Abraham, Abraham. He says, do not lay a hand on that boy. Do not touch him. Now I know how fearlessly you fear God. That word fear meaning respect. You didn't hesitate to place your son, your dear son on the altar for me. Um, and what's so cool, remember I told you to remember the word sheep. What's so cool is Abraham looks up and he sees, this is verse 13 in chapter 22. He saw a ram caught by its horns in the thicket. So how does he know how to say God will provide the lamb, but there's a ram that shows up? Why is this cool? Because we will see later on in scripture that in this around the same exact area, um, Angie actually ends the chapter right there, like this. She says, so where was the lamb? The lamb that would take the place of the person who was supposed to be sacrificed. So he says, God will provide a lamb. He doesn't. He provides a ram. But what is so cool is this last note. It says 2,000 years later, not too far away from this very area, this very place, the lamb of God would be there talking about Jesus, where he would sacrifice himself to save the sons and daughters he loves. He would carry the wood of his sacrifice on his back, being the cross, as he walked to his death, and he would do it in agreement with his father. And so even though that story is further along in the book, I just think it's so awesome that right here in this very same spot, in this very same area, Christ is sacrificed and he is known as the lamb, the lamb of God. Um, and so the fact that Abraham is using that word to say that God will provide a lamb, um, but really it's a ram that's in the bush. I mean, I just think that's, that's so cool. And we're going to have moments like that in scripture where we're like, wow, that's so amazing. Like God's word is so, so deep. Um, and I, I have to mention when I read this story, I've heard this story. I mean, I'm talking like in Sunday school days when I was much younger, you know, I'd hear this story and you just kind of like go over it. And I think as you get older, you're like, Hmm, that's kind of interesting. And then as you become a parent, you're like, uh, I'm not okay with that. <laughs> I'm not okay with this, with that at all. Like how, how in the world can, can God ask him to do this? How in the world could Abraham even say, okay, I'm going. And I, I actually went to my pastor whenever I was diving into the word and I was like, look, I have a problem with the story. You know, how in the world, um, could he allow him to do something like that? How in the world could, um, could, could, could this even be in the Bible? I just don't know how I feel about the story. And what's really cool is uh, my pastor mentioned, he said, um, well, the truth is, is that Abraham had the faith that if God, that he was going to do what God had said, but he had the faith that God could raise him back from the dead, um, that he could bring him back, talking about his son, Isaac. And, um, and so, Angie mentions this in the book. She says, the truth is Abraham did think he was going to have to sacrifice his son. He did. He did think that that was going to have to happen. But it says in Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verse nine, it says he also believed that Isaac would somehow be raised from the dead. Now, what's very interesting to me about that is the fact that where did Abraham get this idea of God raising him from the dead? 
um, where, where did this idea come from? Because I haven't, I don't know if we've covered that in scripture yet about a, uh, of raising someone from the dead. So I don't know where he would have gotten that idea, but you know, what's so cool is that, um, yes, this, this could happen, but this would happen much, much later on in scripture. Um, and again, that promise of like, if Isaac died, then how would his family continue to go on? Well, they'd have to have another child or you'd have to have children through Ishmael. And that is not what God said. God said, you will have many, many children and a great nation coming from you and from Sarah together. And so here we see that Isaac does, is not sacrificed. Um, and God is very pleased with Abraham's faith. And because of that, um, that because of that, a great nation does come from Abraham's line. And we're going to see how that plays out in the next chapter. All right, so here we are. We are in the next chapter, which is called Twins, Tricks, and a Tragic Hero. And this outlines the patriarchs of the Christian uh, faith. Um, and so one thing that I forgot to mention that's a really cool fact is in the story of Abraham and Isaac, when God is telling Abraham um, to go and to offer his son as a sacrifice, he mentions um, the love the, 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 the love that he has for his son between Abraham and Isaac. And what's really cool is that word, Angie mentions the word love was used for the first time in this way. And it was speaking in regards to a relationship between a father and a son, which is so cool. And just, it's just a beautiful, beautiful imagery that we'll see later played out in scripture. But in this chapter, we're going to cover a lot of information, a lot of names, a lot of places. And so I just recommend and encourage you to take it slow, take notes if you'd like, um, just so you can kind of wrap your mind around who these people are and where we are in scripture. So here we are, we're in chapter 25 of Genesis. And by the time that we are done with this podcast episode, we have, we will have flown through all of Genesis and we'll be done with Genesis. Um, I know we got a lot more area to cover for sure. Um, and we'll get there. So where, where have we left off? Where we've left off with Abraham and with Sarah. They have uh, two kids right now, Ishmael, which will be the father of the Arab nation. And then you have Isaac, who is the, the child of Rebecca, not Rebecca, excuse me, I'm jumping ahead, between Sarah and Abraham. And he will become the father of the Jewish nation. And so here we pick up um, in chapter 25, Sarah dies. She dies at the age of 127. God bless her. And um, as we're going along, we see once again the mentioning of a family tree. It talks about the family tree of Ishmael. It goes through his whole family tree. And it talks about at the very end, he has a very, very short uh, section um, where it talks about his family tree. It says that Ishmael's children settled down all the way near Egypt, which we'll see pick up in a minute. Near Egypt, eastward to the Shur in the direction of Assyria. The Ishmaelites didn't get along with any of their kin. So God had already said that to Hagar about the fact that, you know, there's going to, there may be an issue with this. Um, but it's very interesting to me that his people ends up near Egypt, which we'll see that play out here later on in scripture. But then the family tree of Isaac um, goes all the way down and um, it mentions that Isaac uh, marries a girl named Rebecca. Um, he was 40 years old and he marries Rebecca. Um, the thing about Rebecca, though, is that she was also barren. She could not have children. And Isaac prays and prays and prays to God, please let her have children. God blesses them with two children and they are twins. Um, and it's so funny because actually in scripture, she talks about how the kids are, you know, tumbling around inside of her belly and they're kicking. And she says, if this is the way it's going to be, why go on living? So she's like, what in the world? And God says, two nations are in your womb, two people's butting heads while still in your body. One people will overpower the other and the older will serve the younger. And we'll also see that play out as well. So who are these two sons? These two sons are Esau and the other is Jacob. Um, and just one way that I love the way that Angie 
basically describes the two boys. It's, it's really kind of funny the way that she describes the twins, but she describes Esau as being the more, um, outdoorsy, macho, uh, hunter type guy. He's the firstborn. He's really hairy for some reason. He has a lot of hair. (laughs) Um, and she also, she's not saying that he's not smart, but he's just not like, he's not that intelligent and we'll see how that plays out, um, in just a minute. Um, but she's like, but he probably did have a good personality. (laughs) Um, but then with Jacob, Jacob was more like the mama's boy. He was quiet. Um, and it was actually Rebecca's favorite son was Jacob. He was the baby of the family. And, um, she just really loved, you know, having Jacob around. Um, but he was also a trickster. And so we'll see this with the people that God chooses is like, they're not perfect people at all. Like we'll see that as we're going through with King David and all of these other people, like they're not perfect people, but God can still use imperfect people. So Jacob, um, he does a little nasty trick. He becomes a trickster. Um, so the way that it worked during this time, Angie mentioned, she says the way that it worked back in the day was the birthright was the blessing that was given to the firstborn. Um, whenever the father passes away, the the head of the household becomes the firstborn. Um, and how does this work? Well, the father has to pray a blessing over, um, over that son's future. And so who is to be the one that gets the blessing? It's going to be Esau because he was the firstborn. So what does Jacob do about that? Well, Jacob decides with his mom that they are going to trick their dad, Isaac. Uh, Isaac is like on his deathbed and um, he's just kind of out of it. And he goes in and he like puts on like this uh, like goat fur or goat hair around his arms. Because remember we said Esau was very, um, I'm just imagining this big burly like hairy dude. (laughs) And so, um, he goes in and he's asking for the blessing from his dad. Um, and he's like, okay, well, is this Esau? Is this, is this who this is right now? Who's asking me for this? My, my firstborn. And, um, and it turns out that it's not, he has tricked his dad. Um, and the birthright is given the birthright and the inheritance is given to Jacob because they have tricked their dad. And, Esau is livid. In fact, it says in Genesis chapter 27, verses 43 through 45, it says that your brother's fury um, has become a problem. And it says, and his mom says, until your brother's anger has turned away from you, she's telling him to run, like run away. Um, She wants him to flee to um, Laban or Laban. and she wants you to, to free to this to flee to this area where her brother is. So she's telling Jacob, run to your uncle, hide away. Um, it wasn't in Laban. That was the name of the uncle. I'm sorry. Um, to Haran. She wants him to run to Haran um, and to stay there because Esau is livid. He wants to kill his brother. And he's very, very angry about this because he has stolen the birthright. He has stolen the inheritance that was supposed to be given to him. I mean, I'd be upset about that too. Um, so the trickster ends up getting tricked though. Okay. So he flees, he runs away. Jacob does. And when he flees and runs away, he meets this really pretty girl named Rachel. You may have heard this story before. Um, he meets this really beautiful girl named Rachel and he's like, I want to marry her. And the uncle of Rachel, um, tricks Jacob, just like Rebecca tricked, um, her own husband, right? Um, the uncle's like, Hey, you can marry Rachel. You're going to have to work for it. Um, you're gonna have to work for her. So he works all this time. And when it comes to the wedding day, he doesn't realize that he's actually given, um, he's actually given Leah, um, which was his other daughter. And apparently she wasn't like as pretty. (laughs) And so, um, so he's, he's, he's tricked. Um, I can't remember why he was given Leah. I think that I can't remember if she was barren too. Let me see if I can find that in scripture. I can't remember if she was barren too, but 
um, basically she was not going to be, she was not going to be married. Um, and this uncle did not want to have to deal with that fact, the fact that, um, that she would never be married. So what happens? Well, what happens is, is he is like, Hey, this is not what I signed up for. I didn't work all of this time to be given the daughter that I didn't want. I wanted, um, I wanted Rachel. I didn't want Leah. Um, and so the uncle's like, okay, well, you can also have her as well, but you need to continue to work for me. You have to work seven years. He does actually, he doesn't have to wait the entire seven years to get to marry Rachel. Um, but he has to work another seven years in order to, uh, get to marry Rachel. And the thing about that was, as you probably have noticed the, the, the pattern here, he marries Rachel, she's barren, she can't have kids. Um, so here he is, he has two wives, he has Leah and he has Rachel. Um, one of them, the one that he really loves truly can't have kids, but Leah can. So what happens? Well, him and Leah have four sons. Um, they end up having four children together and Rachel is not happy about this. Um, Rachel is really upset with the fact that she can't have kids, but yet this other wife can. This is just a whole, (laughs) you'll find in the Bible, this is just a, a very hairy situation. There's all these relationships that happen. There's all of these you know, the, the, like if we had a map of like just lines that we could trace all these people to, I mean, it would just be a complete, a complete crazy mess that that's really hard to wrap our minds around. But the, the biggest thing is the fact that Rachel's barren, um, and Leah was hated, you know, she, she was the wife that, that he didn't want. Um, but yet, and, and Leah's really upset about that, but, but yet Leah is given children and Rachel cries out when she sees this. And in Genesis chapter 30, verse 1, Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children. Remember, we said that not being able to have children was a humiliation. And it says she envied her sister. I mean, could you imagine watching your sister get to have all these children with your husband? Um, and she says in that verse, she said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Like she's really being very dramatic about this. Um, and so what happens? Well, later on in the Bible, it says God remembered Rachel and he decided to give her um, children. It says that you may have heard of Joseph, the one of the coat of many colors. And he is actually the 11th boy. He will be the child that is given to Rachel. Um, so between Leah between Leah and Rachel, they have all these children, all God's children. And, um, Jacob is officially the 11th son, but he was number one in his father's heart, um, because he was Rachel's son, the woman that he loved so much, the one that he had really set his eyes on, had finally given him a son. Um, and so they have all of these they have this huge family. So let's just summarize it in case you are lost in the blur of me talking. It says, here's the count of everything at this point. There were two wives, 11 boys, and they did have one daughter. Um, the fact is, is that Jacob's footprint was taking up a lot of space now on Laban's or Laban's property. So here they are. Remember, he's run away from his home because he has deceived his dad. He's tricked his dad. He's tricked his brother. He can't go back home because his brother Esau wants to let him have it. But the thing is, is like, he's got all these children. He's got, um, he, he's got these two wives. They've got all this stuff going on and they're not even living on property that was given to them. They're living on, on his uncle's property. And so his uncle was not really pumped about this. His, his uncle's like, all right, dude, um, we can't, we can't continue to have you around on my property, taking all my property. And so Jacob begins to leave that property and he decides that he needs to take his family back to Canaan. 
And we, we've, we keep hearing this, this land, we keep seeing this, I'm going back, I'm going back to where my roots are planted, I'm going back to my home. So they are headed back to Canaan with everybody in tow. And the problem is, though, is that Esau, Esau, the brother, the one that was out for him, he is closing in on Jacob and he wasn't coming alone. He had a he had a lot of people with him as well. And so you can only, you can just imagine. You can imagine that this is not going to be good. It is going to be a conflict between the brothers. You've got your whole family there that is that is in tow. And this is not going to be a very good situation. So remember we mentioned about the fact with name changes when we see that in the Bible, we see that God is letting those people know that they are a new creation. And we see this happen to Jacob. So as they're heading back, back to the land that his brother is at, remember, um, Jacob is really calling on God and he's like asking for forgiveness. He's like, please bless me, God. And, you know, we sit there and think how in the world could he ask for forgiveness for, for this all of the mess that he's been in before, tricking his dad, tricking his brother, you know, and all these different things. And what I love that Angie says is she says, God will never break his promises and we can lean on his promises. And so Jacob really held on to the fact that God had promised that through his, through Abraham, through this bloodline, like will become a great nation. And so, um, God was going to protect them and, Jacob asks for that blessing. He asks for God to bless him. And so we see a name change happen here. So if you ever get confused between Jacob and Israel, the name Israel, um, it, it is a lot. <laughs> There's a lot going on here. But Jacob is renamed as Israel. Um, Jacob was no longer um, the name that he was called, but instead he was called Israel. And, um, what's really beautiful about that is now you have, you know, you have this, this country, you have this, this area that is named after him. And so what happens? Well, what happens is he gets home, he sees his brother, Esau's actually gotten rid, he's, he's let go of the grudges. He no longer is holding on to those things. Um, and he embraces Jacob, he embraces Israel and he's like, I forgive you, which is such a beautiful picture. Um, so where are we left off with? We're left off with, um, we're left off with, they have one more child. Um, Rachel actually has one more child and his name is Benjamin. And he is now the 12th child to be born to Jacob or to Israel, um, between both wives, Leah and Rachel. Um, he has all of these children. Um, and what's really sad about that is it mentions his name would never be spoken without being tied to one of the worst moments in Israel's or Jacob's life because as he was born, his mother died. So we lose Rachel, which is really heartbreaking for Jacob because that was the love of his life. Um, so these 12 sons that you recognize the names of, these become, yes, the 12 tribes of Israel. If you've ever heard of the 12 tribes, or the land that was given to the 12 tribes, um, the land of Judah, the land of such and such. This is where you are getting this from. It's all of these children that were given to Jacob, to Israel. Um, and Angie mentions that eventually every one of the Israelite race, they would identify um, the tribe that they were from, the area that they were from. And that dates all the way back to where their ancestors descended from. So... It is a lot of information, um, but it, it, it's so deep. Like that's one thing that we learn throughout this book is like scripture is, it is so deep. Um, and I think we, we usually can get lost in it. And then that begins to, uh, our, that begins to strip away our confidence that we have in learning God's word. And it's not that like, we can't understand it. It's not that, um, we're just dumb and we can't wrap our minds around it. It just takes time to sit down and to really, to really dig at it um, because it's just so rich. So we have all, uh, we have, um, we have all these children we've left off with that. We had Abraham, we have Isaac, and then now Jacob, and now you have his 12 sons. These are none of the patriarchs of the faith. These are the founding fathers of Israel. 
Um, And we come upon Joseph, who fills out the remaining chapters of Genesis. And I know everybody is seems well aware of Joseph, but this is Joseph in the coat of many colors. Um, And so we come upon the story of Joseph. Um, He is out in the fields. Um, He is with his brothers, all of his brothers, who are tending to the flock out in the fields. And remember, Jacob or Israel, um, his dad, him, um, he loves Joseph. In fact, he, it's one of his favorite kids and his sons knew that all of the brothers knew that, oh, that's dad's favorite. Um, so what happens to him? Well, the brothers decide to, their plan originally was to kill, um, Joseph. They were going to kill him. They were going to take his cloak, which they did. They took his coat and they smeared, um, goat's blood on it. And they were going to tell their dad, like, hey, you know, we found this and Joseph died. Um, But they they decided not to do that. Instead, what they decided to do was they decided to sell him basically into slavery. Get this. They sell him to a band of Ishmaelite traders. So Ishmaelite, that's coming from Ishmael, okay, coming from his people, And we've heard this name before. Let me remind you who Ishmael was. He is the father of the Arab nation. And if you remember in scripture, we heard that his people, the the people of Ishmael, ended up in the area of Egypt. Okay, so that is where Joseph is headed to. He has been sold to people that are headed to that area, to an Arab nation, Um, and this, this right here opens up the door for him. If you remember, they take him as a slave. Um, he ends up, um, being sold to a guy named Potiphar. Um, Potiphar's wife accuses, um, Joseph of raping her. He gets thrown into prison, but then Joseph can interpret all these dreams. There is a, there's a lot, and it is your duty to go back and read all this. But in the end, in the end, he comes to Pharaoh because Pharaoh needs his dreams interpreted. And at the very end, the very end, the biggest plot twist that we can find is that Joseph ends up being made second in command over all of Egypt. Okay, so he is like, he's gotten this role over this nation, right? Completely far off from his land, completely far off from his dad, completely far off from his brother's far from everything that he knows and he's picked up he's relocated to this area and what's so crazy is God places him in Egypt at the perfect time why was he placed there at the perfect time well if you know the rest of the story about Joseph and his brothers what happens is there is going to be a large famine that takes over the land and Joseph has done a great job basically um, storing up food, storing up grain because he knows that a famine is coming. And his brothers, lo and behold, come to Egypt. They come to the land and they're asking for help. And Joseph recognizes that it's his brothers. And he is like, hey, you know, I'll help you guys out. But the only way that I'm going to help you out is if you bring your dad, if you bring all of your brothers, they don't recognize that it's Joseph at the time. Um, But he says, I want you to bring back all your brothers. In fact, I want you to bring Benjamin because Benjamin did not come with them on that trip. Um, His dad held him back. Angie says um, he didn't want to lose another one of Rachel's um, sons. Um, so what do they do? They bring all of them back. They come all back to Egypt. Um, and at that moment, Joseph reveals that, Hey, like, this is me. It's your brother. I'm here for you. I forgive you. The, the, the brothers are stunned that it's him. Um, his dad is stunned that it's him. And you see this beautiful picture of forgiveness. Um, And it says, when they got back to Egypt, Joseph arranged for them to be brought back to the house. It scared all of them to death. He asked them if their father was alive. They told him that he was. Joseph locked eyes with Benjamin, his brother, and he was so overcome with emotion that he had to leave the room to compose himself. And then at the very end, he 
um, he, he takes them in and, um, we see that he is, um, being so kind to what was at once felt like it was their enemies. Um, and he tells them, I'm Joseph, I'm your brother. And it shocks them. And I love how she wraps up the rest of this chapter. It says, this man in power, the one who held their fate in his hands was their flesh and blood. The one they were so jealous of, the one they'd sent away as a slave now had them at his mercy. Um, But Joseph wasn't seeking revenge. Um, In fact, he tells them, let me flip there. It says in Genesis um, chapter 45, verse 8, he tells them, he said, God was behind it. He said, don't feel badly. Don't blame yourselves for selling me. God was behind it. God sent me here ahead of you to save lives. There's been a famine in the land now for two years. The famine will continue for five more years, neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me on ahead to pave the way and make sure there was a remnant in the land to save your lives in an amazing act of deliverance. So you see, it wasn't you who sent me here, but God, he sent me in place as a father to Pharaoh put me in charge of his personal affairs and he made me ruler of all Egypt. So he just has this like humbleness about him, not even revenge towards his brothers. He can see that God has a plan. He's been placed there for a specific reason and it's so that he can help his people. Um, Because think of that, think all the way back to God's promise. God has promised Abraham through the family line, there will be a great nation. There'll be a great nation. There will be, um, there will be a savior that comes through that line If they were to all perish in the famine, how could that continue on, right? So God has, God has placed Joseph there for an exact reason and it is to help save his family. Um, And at the very end of this chapter, it says, as Jacob neared the end of his life, he asked to be taken to Canaan to be buried, to be placed in the same cave as Isaac, Rebecca, Abraham, and Sarah. Um, So we see here that all of his brothers, his family, they are now all in Egypt. So they are out of the land that they're supposed to be in. They are now all in Egypt. Um, and we're going to see how this plays out as we go to the book of Exodus. I know that was a lot of information, guys. I know that was a lot to cover. Um, and what's so crazy is on the next podcast episode, we're going to be covering chapters six and seven. So in chapter six, we are covering the Exodus. If you've ever seen the movie, The Prince of Egypt, like it is all of that. I love the book of Exodus. I love this whole story. And then chapter seven is going to be about the wilderness years. So after the people leave Egypt, what happens to them then? There's so much beautiful imagery. There's so much depth to these next few chapters that we're going to cover. So take it slow, take your notes, let me know um, if there's anything that you found interesting. Make sure you share this podcast episode with someone if you found it to be interesting. I hope that your brain is not fried. Mine is just a little bit, but that's okay. So guys, continue to stay tuned in as we cover the rest of this book woven by Angie Smith. As always, guys, continue to be raw, be authentic, and be you.